and today I retire from pro football. Probably when I retire, when that eventually happens one day, I'll be able to sit back and say, you know what, pretty proud. What can I say? Mamba out. The What's Next Podcast, where every hour is happy hour. Welcome to the What's Next Podcast. Whether you're about to tee off on the golf course, sitting on the beach, or napping on the couch, anywhere but the office, this podcast is for you. If you're still working, turn this podcast off right away. Unless, of course, you're pondering retirement or a sabbatical. Ken, how are we doing today? We're doing great, Jason, and another great episode, great topic uh, we have Jason Adelman here from the Standard Club. He right is here in Atlanta, Georgia. Right up uh, Johns Creek, Georgia. Okay, Johns Creek to be specific. Yeah, and uh, and golf is one of those things that uh, everyone in retirement. What are you going to do? Golf. Everyone loves golf. Wants to play golf. Wants to learn golf. So we're going to master golf. Wants to master Defeat golf. The game of golf, which no one does. <laughs> At least no one. No one that I know has done it, but uh, so we're going to be talking uh, to Jason about all things golf. Jason has a real interesting background and history with it himself, and he uh, he has given me lessons. So he's he's seen the dark side of the sport. So we will talk through that. Well, we'll have to get some good stories about Ken as a as a protege for you. Yeah. I'm sure there's some scary moments in there. Absolutely, he r- probably risked life and limb to survive some of his backswings. Safest place is on the fairway, right? <laughs> but uh, but first, Jason, what time is it? It's happy hour, because every hour is happy hour. And what are we drinking today? Jason, why don't you tell us what we're drinking today? We are drinking a small batch Larceny. Larceny is made by the Old Fitzgerald Company uh, that has a lot of similarities to the Pappy Van Winkle family. Cool. Weller is, is very similar uh, Kind of on the map these days, I think, because of the similarities to Weller, which is very popular, but very hard to find. All very right. hard to find. I did try and get some Weller for this show, but my local establishment was sold out. They told me you have to. There is a very small window of time. They get some every Friday, and if you want to get some, you better be there at like three o'clock to get it. Otherwise, you're SOL. There you go. All right, Jason. So let's start. With you on how you got into golf, like start at the beginning. I grew up actually in uh, Minnesota, so golf season was fairly short. You say not a golf Couple mecca. Weeks. Yep. On a good year, yeah. <laughs> it was really pretty much about thinking about playing after the Masters and then hang it up after Halloween. That was really golf season. Um, but I loved it. I had a group of buddies that played. I caddied. Uh, my grandfather and father played. My mother played, so it was just something, you know, as a family um, we started doing. And I, I liked it, but like I said, it was a small window to play. I played every other sport in Minnesota. I played some hockey, played some football, soccer, track, basketball, everything. But then... Ice fishing. <laughs> I tried that once. Curling? <laughs> Curling? Curling, I didn't. Ice fishing, I did. Very young. And uh, it's... Uh, and I asked actually uh, an uncle of mine, I said... Does people really do this that for for fish or for drinking? And right. it's for drinking. So hey, there you go. But uh, but then getting hooked on golf, honestly, just that everything about it. I started reading about it. You know, from Ben Hogan to Arnold Palmer to Nicholas. When I was getting into it, Tom Watson was the big star, and Fred Couples, and that just I just loved it. So I got hooked. I started playing 
practicing. It was also very difficult. I think that's what what uh, made me work at it. You know, where most sports, you know, if you can run, jump, throw, you can kind right. of figure out anything. But golf, I just loved how you could kind of do it your own way too. You know, even though I do teach for a living, everybody can have their own little, you know, idiosyncrasies. You know, like I said, Jim Furyk and, right. you know, Matt Kuchar, I'd call unorthodox. We can't all swing like Adam Scott and Roy McIlroy or look like them. Right. So I think that's what, you know, really, really got me going. Now, did you always have an aptitude for it? Like when you picked up the club, were yep. you good right away? Yeah, when did you first know you were good at it? The first day. First Hon- day. Honestly, Seriously? even my friends drove me nuts. I've been playing for years, and I picked it up. The first time I played, I broke 100, and it brought, drove them nuts. It wow. Was, it, and I think from playing a little hockey and this, and it was it was the, the, the underhand was easy. You know, the right-hand move. Right. You know, for if you're used to a lateral motion, like tennis players struggle right away and baseball players. But I think hockey has a probably lends it to golf the most. Uh, but uh, I just, it, it, honestly, I hate to say it, it was almost easy to start out with, man. You know, I was a, uh, I was a, you know, I'd shoot, you know, once I got playing a little, I'd, a bogey golfer, you know, in high school. And then from my senior high school till I was 19, I, I went from about an 18 handicap to a scratch in wow. probably eight, nine yeah. months. And because uh, I just worked at it and worked at it. And most of it was chipping and putting, which as Ken knows, I preach short game practice. Yeah, Even the best players hit bad shots, you know, but you got to chip and putt. Right. So that was, uh, and yeah, and I got hooked. I got, yeah. And then, and then did you play in college? Or I did. I played at junior college actually in California, College of the Desert. Okay. Uh, fun little school. It's actually all about golf management. You know, there's a lot of guys do agronomy. A lot of guys study uh hotel management, country right. club management, all that was okay to me. I, I fell in love with teaching. I really just thought it, it was kind of my, my future. I tried playing first. I was lucky I got to play for a living for a few years, mainly some of the, the mini tours, which is like minor league, uh, and loved it, had a great time, but never could quite get to that next level. And that's kind of when I, I realized teaching was a little little <laughs> easier, guaranteed paycheck. Got so it. what's it like? Because I, if, I, if I remember right, you told me that you played in Europe. Mm-hmm. So what's that like being a pro golfer? It's got to be such a unique experience because if you're on a, you're pro basketball or football, you're part of a team, you travel together, you have a lot of camaraderie in golf. It's just you. Funny you say that. Yeah. Cause there is nothing that's teamwork. You know, it's all about you. Even though you might meet a few guys, I met a few guys I traveled with, right. but once the tournament started, it, it's, you don't, you don't want your buddies. You want to beat them just right. as much, you know. If they have a good day, you don't. You know, dinner's a little quieter, <laughs> you know. And it, it's very, you have to be a very A-type. That's why you see guys, you know, with caddy relationships for a long time. Because that's like almost like a marriage to a pro. Where, yeah, you might not, you know, the other two guys you're playing with probably don't even want to say nice shot to you. When you know, right. but your caddy is your partner. And that's that helps kind of that four or five hour process to, to be like a team. That's the closest thing you get is your caddy. So did you ever witness, I'm sure it wasn't you, but I think back to that scene in in Tin Cup where the last hole where it's just shot after shot after shot or was it Jean Vanderveld kind of same kind of thing. Did you ever witness like a moment like that when you're on the tour? I've seen some train wrecks. Absolutely. (laughs) I did see a guy, there was a course actually, I just got, came back from Mission uh, Mission Hills uh, in Palm Springs. Right. And there's a, the last hole is a island green and I watched a guy spin three sand wedges in a row right off the green with the same shot. You know, and it was just one of those, you're watching them and watching them and watching them. And you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe try a different shot instead. But yeah, it's, uh, golfers are stubborn, you know, especially professionals. They think 
you know, the, the Gulf gods will uh, reward them, but they usually doesn't, especially if you let anger get in. Right. So at the professional level, before we get into the retirement Our side, level. right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious because I, when I watch on TV, I, I watch the swings of these guys and the ladies. They're all so incredible. Like it's just almost perfect. What's the difference between the person who wins the tournament or the people up near the top and the people that either don't make the cut or, or just don't win the tournaments? Like, what is the difference? It, it's having a short memory. It's, it's really like that, that good pitcher or good quarterback who gives up an interception, gives up a home run, and doesn't freak out, doesn't panic because, you, you know, you hit one out of bounds right. The guy that isn't mentally strong, he's going to then hit the next shot left instead of forget about it and focus. And those guys are the ones that have been out there forever. Tiger Woods, you know, guys like that that hit, make a double bogey. So what? You're gonna you're gonna make two or three birdies in a row down the line. But the guys that lose it, those are the guys who shoot 75, 75, miss a cut and go home. Because if you watch technically on the range. There's guys on the range missing cuts that look like robots that should never miss hit a shot. And then you have guys out there that look like two, three handicaps right. and they shoot 68, you know, because it's the mental, mental the mental side, not to, not to panic if things aren't going going well. How's your mental toughness, Jason? <laughs> on the golf course, not so good. Yeah. Not so good. <laughs> I try not to, I, like, I don't have high expectations for my golf game, which I think is a good start because I tend not to get... And I'm a pretty even keel person, but I do get, you know, inside I get frustrated with myself for doing something that I know, not doing something I know I can do. And it is hard to just forget it. Oh, absolutely. How do you teach that? How do you teach? I, I, I preach a pre-shot routine. Okay. Like, cause if, you know, if Ken and I and you, the three of us, we're going to go right. play golf, it's probably going to take four hours. Right. The amount of time... Each of us are playing golf is about 10 minutes for that right. day. So the in-between time, I love that time because that's you talk sports, you talk about your wives, you talk about your kids. I don't talk politics. Some people do. But when it's your turn, when it's like, don't worry about what's going on with him. You could have right. just plopped two in the water looking for balls with a ball retriever. When it's your turn, focus and have, have a, like a, a, a process that's almost like a free throw shooter where you get up, yeah. you dribble it twice, Shoot, exactly. when you're a golfer, whether it's the first shot of the day or the last and you got your buddies with five presses on the line, don't overthink it. Have your window or it's your process. So I preach process more than, than technique sometimes. Because technique's great up on the range. You can work on that. But when you're on the course, it's your process. We've all, we've the free throw analogy resonates with me because I played basketball growing up. I've coached basketball all these years. And I always talk about do the same thing. Every time you walk up to shoot a free throw, it should be the exact same thing every single time. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Of course, I don't practice that necessarily on the golf course. but And it's funny you say that. And people, like I said, when I give a lesson, or even if I'm observing, I walk up, say I'm giving a lesson to Ken or Rachel Brandeis. She was one of my favorite students. but <laughs> She fell out. She, she, she's a great tennis player now, so maybe that <laughs> says something about me. <laughs> but yeah, I'll take a peek and I'll see a guy hit you know, 100 balls in 10 minutes. Right. That does nothing. Pretend you're on the course. You know, hit hit a shot with a driver. If it's a good one, then simulate. Okay, well now I have to go and grab a seven iron. Take your process. I, okay, I gotta take whether it's two deep breaths, one or two practice swings, whatever that is. Do that same thing every time. That helps under pressure at every level. 
I mean, you'll see tour pros. It's great when you're watching on TV. And I love, I love now that in the booth, there's some new guys. And then on the course, there's some caddies. Um, Jim McKay did it for a while. And then uh, Matt Kuchar's old caddy, he's doing it. So you get a perspective. But watch when a guy's about to hit a shot. And then the caddy all says, are you sure about that? That he'll go and take the club from the guy, put it back in the bag, and then start all over. You know, or most of us, you get up there and you think, well, right. oh, okay, I'll just, there, I, I might not have the right club. I might need the seven instead of the six. Oh, I'll just swing harder. Right. It doesn't work. So start over because then it, it gets your, your breathing, your adrenaline, everything consistent. I preach that, which isn't easy because then you get out during a round. Yeah, you get adrenaline gets going. You hit a great drive, hits a cart path, and you can't find your ball, lost ball, two-stroke penalty. How do you remain calm? The good ones do, and it's easier said than done. But I, uh, I take pride that I'm one of those guys. So let's let's change gears to retirement. Why is golf such a popular? I don't know if you call it a sport, hobby, whatever it is for people going into retirement. Right. You hear people say, "Oh, I want to play more golf. I want to play one time a week, or three times a week, or whatever it might be. I want to get my game to a new level." What is the fascination? What do you think? Well, you know, there's a couple facets. I think the, the number one thing is, is you can do it with your buddies. Right. Like if, if you're a two handicap and I'm a 25, it doesn't matter. You play your we ball. I play mine. Just for, <laughs> just for clarity but, for, the, for the listeners out there. <laughs> but for example, but if you and I then go play tomorrow, I'm probably going to shoot 70. You're probably what going to shoot? Hopefully less than 100 well that you know either way we're gonna have a good time right because we're gonna have some beverages right. we're gonna listen to music we're gonna talk about ken if you and i are on the basketball fun of ken, right? <laughs> yeah if you and i are shooting hoops i got a bad knee right. you're probably gonna smoke me i'm not having fun you might for a little little while right. but then it'll get boring <laughs> where golf you play your own game there's no defense there's no this hmm. and that's what's great too about if your spouse enjoys it I'd say half a retirement people, half never play with their spouses, half love it. And either way, it's fine. Like I said, my wife doesn't want anything to do with it. Right. She's Same like, you go play golf. I got my thing. And so I think that's a huge part of it. Uh, and the time it takes up. You know, like I said, if you, it's, you play golf, you get to the course an hour early, play for four hours, you have lunch, a drink, there's six hours your day. Yeah. That's six hours you're not on the couch right. watching Netflix. So for, for someone who's looking to take up golf, in their retirement, how would you suggest they go get started? They go out and buy the thousand dollar clubs and, and like, what, what do you do just to get going? I wouldn't know the, the getting fit for clubs does not going to help a guy who's beginning. It really isn't. It, it's, the, I was hoping I could buy more expensive clubs <laughs> and fix my game. Well, it doesn't Rachel's work. going to cut you off <laughs> now. That's done. It, it certainly is better than just buying like a knockoff set, but to get fit properly to, you know, if you don't have a grooved swing yet, you don't have the benefits yet. But to me, that's why I always say get a decent set, you know, and then take lessons. The lessons are the key and practice. You know, my, I take pride in my students. I make them practice. I tell Ken, I don't want to see you again unless you get to practice. Right. Because if you take one tomorrow and you don't touch a club for a month, it's going to be the same lesson. So, <laughs> which is very common. I'll even ask us, hey, you've been working now. I've been working or I've been going to my kid's soccer game or whatever. But for. I've been recording podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and for, for a retired guy, it'd be great or, or gal either way. But you take a lesson and then, all right, instead of playing seven days or five days, maybe play every other day. But in between, you practice and, and, and find a teacher, if it's me or somebody that's been doing it a long time. 
they're going to teach you how to practice. That's the number one goal. My goal is not to get you fixed during the lesson. It's to have you a process to practice. Uh, muscle memory drills, whether it's long game, short game, putting. Uh, and that's important. And if you think about someone like me, I know you've been teaching Ken for a while, so I'm sure he's practically a scratch golfer now, knowing Ken. How We're actually works pretty similar. In, yeah. In so it, let's, I'm in the 90s, right? I, I practice some, I play some, not as much, still not as much as I would like. If there's one thing you can tell somebody like me or Ken, Besides practicing, which I think, like one thing you should work on on your game or one thing that's going to make a difference between in the 90s to breaking 90 on a consistent basis, which is, which is kind of a step level, what would your recommendation be? What's your advice? Really, the, the biggest flaws that people need to work on are set up. Okay. And that means simple as your aim and ball position. Right. Because you have the average set is 14 sets or 14 clubs in the set. So it's not like you're just hitting a seven iron all day and right. trying to groove that. A lot of people, they'll set up okay with an iron, and then they get a driver, and they're aimed too far left, too far right, yeah. ball's too far back. So really, and that's why I show a lot of people right away, you must have a proper setup yeah. aimed at your target line. Because if you aim one way and you think you're the other way, the ball position gets shifted so much, your swing's never going to get repetitive. But when you can start with that really consistent setup, which I really then kind of bleed into your pre-shot routine, right. make that your pre-shot routine. You know your setup. It takes away a lot of angst, you know, because if you start thinking, oh, there's water, there's sand, there's woods, there's a guy over there fishing for balls I don't want to hit. That, no, work on your setup. Once you get set up, then I find it's amazing that there's so many magnets within waters and bunkers. <laughs> like, I, I, why do courses do that? Why are they just magnets that for my golf balls? I don't understand that. That that's a that, that is a uh, course architect's funny. We'll go to I mean the first course that uh, you know everyone says the original course is St Andrews. Right. Those bunkers are like funnels. Right. They get close, but look at a lot of modern architecture. They're funnel off the green. They're right. Into the bunker. Yeah. They just want to make it harder. <laughs> so. What I remember, the, the first thing that I, one of the first things that I remember that you taught me that I think a lot of people take for, maybe take for granted or know if you grew up playing the game, but it's exactly what you said, is I didn't really know how to aim when I was shoot when I was hitting. And you told me to aim for like a blade of grass or something, maybe a foot in front of the ball. And I thought that was ingenious because, you know, if you pick your head up and then start looking at the flag or something like that, then you've lost your your aim at the ball and your focus on the ball whereas or you're looking and you're seeing oh i forgot about that sand trap there or the guy in the fishing balls out so i, I that's something that i've always remembered to do is i pick my spot and if i forget to do it i back off the ball start from scratch and i pick my spot you know a, a foot in front of the ball or something like that and that's really helped me immensely good it's been a, it's been a huge help so I, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I'd be super specific on this. You talked about fitting for club and things like that. Does the equipment matter? Does does the golf ball matter for for folks? Like, how should we think about that? You hear people spending tons of money and always talking about the latest technology. What's your perspective on it as a golf pro? It does it does help to be honest with you. And the golf ball itself, the key is sticking with the same 
golf ball, honestly. You know, some not sort of, the one that's on sale at Dick's that week. If, honestly, but if you get used to that, you will get used to that. Honestly, because even the even the high end balls, there's a little different. You know, but back in the old days, it was compression. That was a right. number thing. Okay. Now it seems to be just about spin rate and launch right. and this. But when you get used to how it comes off, even a chip shot to a putt to an iron, that's important. But say you play with a Titleist for you know two weeks, and then you know, well, I don't want to spend that much. You know, a Pro V1, for example, you want to get a twenty-dollar Callaway ball. That ball is going to jump off hotter for most people, and then it's not going to have the feel around the green. So that makes a big difference. It really, okay. it really does. And, and then clubs too. You know, it's more about the wrong clubs than the right clubs. Like you can't go, and I hate to say this, Ken, you can't spend five grand on equipment and change your game immediately. But if you have the wrong, if you have the wrong things, it can hurt you just like a shoe. If you're going to go run a marathon in a size 13, but you're really an 11, that's going to mess you up. But the the wrong equipment can make it harder. As far as the flex of the shafts, Got it. the length, if you're too short, too long, that that is enormous. Just like the wrong shoe size, you know, you can run a you know four four forty into size ten, but if I give you a thirteen, you're not running a four four. Right. But you give a guy with the right shoes, he's not automatically faster. But so it, it is it is a matter of going through that process, and and then people have different physical strengths. You know, some guys you know can lift a hundred pound weights over their head, some can't. So you don't want an extremely stiff or heavy shaft. You might like the lighter shaft. Myself, I've played my whole life with clubs that were too heavy. So even like I went kind of non-honestly once to get fit just to see. Right. And they were saying, I'll oh, get this lighter stuff. It'll help your ball speed, all that. But I couldn't control it. So it's finding what's best for you. And a good fitter does that. Well, they say, hey, try this light shaft. Right. You can hit it farther. But if it's spraying Spray. all over, right. it's not good. So in there, there's that fine line. That's why sometimes I, I scoff a little at some indoor fittings. Because it's purely on numbers, computers. Um, being going to an outdoor fitting will benefit you because you can also see your ball flight right. and then the fitter can as well. I always felt that those things were scams. So if you go to PGA Superstore, for example, I hit into the screen and every ball I hit is like great. And it's, there's just no way they're truly accurate. They're trying to make it look longer and they're trying to make it look more accurate. And no, you they would it. never do that to you, yeah. Ken. Oh, yeah. That, that's why I always say use that as a litmus test. Never go in and be convinced that, well, hey, this Callaway is better than this or the Mizuno is better than the Titleist. Have, try a couple out you like. Then go say, hey, can I demo these? Like we do at our club. If a member wants to try something out, you know, after a fitting, yeah, absolutely. Go, and then you're convinced. Because especially if you take it on your course you normally right. play, like wow, I'm hitting, you know, yeah, yeah I, I'm hitting it straighter, farther. I'm hitting more greens with my irons, so it, it makes a difference. So you didn't need to be customer of the year at PGA Superstore after all, Ken. It sounds like. Well, I I did what Jason said. So for example, he gave me lessons when my shoulder was sort of coming back. He gave me lessons in the short game, which I had no idea how to hit a like right. a, a wedge in. So I learned how to do that. But uh, Jason said I needed a, uh, a wedge, so we tried three or four of them, and there was one that just, for whatever reason, just felt different and was much better for me than the others. So by using it out on the course, like you said, you know, I tried, I think I played with it twice, and I knew that was the club for me. So it really, at least with the short game, 
Yeah, like it made, it made really a huge difference for me. All right, so you, you, you've done, you've been doing lessons for years. You've been a golf pro. You've taught the likes of Ken, which is scary <laughs> in itself. Funniest lesson moment. Give us a give yeah, us give a us stories. Story. You don't have to use no names. names. Right. Can, we'll get the names out of you later. <laughs> but give us some. There's got to be some crazy stories you've got. I've had a, <laughs> I've had a couple good ones recently. Actually, where I've had seen clubs thrown down the range during, during a, lesson. a lesson. During a lesson. Wow. And I, I politely said this might not. I might not be the personality you're looking for, because <laughs> yeah. I'm certainly not looking for that. Wow, really? Yeah. So that that's been interesting. Yeah. So I, and I, I and okay, I. Do you have anything you want to tell us to the, about the? About I need that? a new set of clubs, but uh, <laughs> I'm missing it, a couple. And I would not blow smoke just because I'm sitting in front of Ken. But he was a good student because he was also he's a good athlete. But he also hear that. <laughs> he also got a little practice is important. Yeah. Like he didn't expect some guys want that quick fix. Like I've been you know given a lesson up for an hour and then I'm walking off the range. Someone's hey you got five minutes. I'm teeing off, and I'm like, that's not going to help that guy. Right. There, there's a, not a tip that'll last. It's probably will hurt him. Yeah, exactly. They'll try and tweak it, and they'll yeah. break something. Else. Exactly. If it's something I'm working with, and I can kind of, you know, remind them we did this, but it, there's those quick guys want quick fixes, or they'll come up and hit one ball. Oh, that's not right. Or the 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 story that I go back to, and it's not a member at my current club, so nobody <laughs> has to worry about that, but. I would start working with a guy who I would say he was 30-ish, 31, 32. Started with me. It was an 18 handicap. I gave him one lesson a month for 12 months. Yeah. Started out with full swing, started out and then chipping, and then a lot of putting, and then back to chipping, full swing. Went from an 18 to a 6. Wow. Wow. In a year. That's Pretty good, amazing. huh? Yeah. Wow. Guy comes in and goes, I'm looking, I'm gonna go look for another pro. I saw my swing on video. I wanted to look like Adam Scott. Honest to God, I swear on my children. I looked at him. I go, well, I would love to look like Adam Scott too. Yeah. I go, but you took 12 strokes off of your handicap. Most people can't do that in 10 years. Right. And I just said, well, yeah, good luck to you. Good luck. That flabbergasted me. But, you know, hey, that's, that's the world. There, that's crazy. There's 99% of the guys on the tour would love to look like Adam Scott. His golf swing, and he's a handsome fella. But, but I'm, I just said, all right, and you know, best of luck to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So don't, yeah, I don't ever want someone to try and look for the perfect golf swing. Look for a good golf score. So what about? And I'm not going to say his name. I'll let you say it if you want. But you, you told me about one celebrity lesson that you gave. Is that are we allowed to say that? Yeah, one? I give Adam Sandler a lesson. Absolutely. So that to me is the coolest story. Tell, what, what was very, to that? It was really neat because I was working at a club in Orlando while he was filming Waterboy. Um, and great it, movie. Yeah, great movie. It was so hot in Orlando. They did all the filming at night at the Citrus Bowl. I don't even know if yeah. it's still called that, but where UCF plays. Yeah. And they, but he was, so he rented a house at the course I was at, and he would just come down and, hey, come on. And I'd jump in the cart with him. I mean, the first time he came down, he was in sweatpants and a T-shirt and all that. And exactly and how you expect for him. He yeah. couldn't have been any nicer. It was great. And I remember he said all he wanted to do is, and this was after Happy Gilmore, obviously. Right. So he, he wanted to become a little better. And all he, his goal was just to be able to beat his dad at golf. But he was funny. He was great. You know, there, was, there were kids who would come see him sometimes run over, and he'd, he, they'd, they'd ask him to do movie lines or SNL. He'd bust into Opera Man and stuff. Yeah. Like, and he, he awesome. was as nice and as cordial as 
any I could imagine any uh, famous person being. Could could Ken take him? Yeah, I'm wondering like how good of a golfer is and he? golf. I think you could absolutely. <laughs> really? yeah. he's, he's decent basketball yeah, player. Yeah. Yeah, I know he plays basketball. Yeah. He shows up at um, playgrounds wherever he's filming and yeah. he plays pickup basketball. That's his exercise. I'd probably take him. That doesn't say much for his game. <laughs> but he was great. Well, he's a little busier than you. He's not retired. True. That's true. Although he, he could be, I'm sure. But he I'm sure he chooses could be. not to be. Well, I got a qu- another question for you. So a big part of folks in retirement is travel, right? And golf is awesome. There's, there are golf courses all over the world. Tell us about like maybe one course, your favorite course anywhere in the world. I mean, you played all over the world, it sounds like, or maybe the best golf trip you've ever taken. Yeah, go both. Yeah. So no, it's maybe the best course or courses that you play that are just special for whatever reason, or maybe where you'd like to play. And then also maybe if you were going to organize a, a golf trip for, for whatever, a group of guys... Where would be the place that you'd do it? It's it maybe it's recency biased, but I absolutely love Pinehurst. Okay. If you're a golf nerd and just want to play golf, that is the perfect place. It really is. Everything's close. The, 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 you can have whatever experience you want. If you want the high end caddy, they have that for you. If you just want to, you know, get a couple of golf carts and drink some beers, that's your place. That's a phenomenal destination. And then they have a par three course in the middle, right. which is called the Cradle, which is unbelievable. The music yeah. going. There's actually a bar after like the fourth and hole, I believe it is. And <laughs> it's, it's So it's designed for fun. But the course, there's a couple of courses that are true championship courses there too. Most of them are resorty, so they're right. you know, user friendly. But like Piners number two, I put on my top five of all time. They've played a few U.S. Opens there. Payne Stewart won there. Right. I'm embarrassed to ask a question, but... Pinehurst is in Carolina, right? Yeah, North Carolina. Okay. I just want to yeah. make sure I, yeah. I thought so. It's, the only hard thing is it's, there's no easy way to get it. It's uh, I think most people fly into Raleigh. If you're out of town from here, you can drive through Charlotte. It's not too bad. I think it's about a five-hour drive total from Atlanta, but a, a great golf destination. And I also spent time in Palm Springs. I actually just got back from there. I love desert golf. So Palm Springs, Scottsdale, I absolutely love desert golf. I think it's so cool, especially in the winter. But I would put that high on the list. I, Any place in, in Palm Springs, is there one course the, that's above? Really, I love the old school courses. Um, but the, the, the outdoor where the, they just finished the Bob Hope, or it's not called the Bob Hope anymore. I'll always call it the Bob Hope at PGA West. Okay. PGA West, La Quinta. That's pretty pretty solid. You don't have to leave, you know, if you want to drive off property and find a nice steakhouse, all that. But it gives you a little of everything. But pure golf, I'd put that right up there with anything as well. And then some, if you, if you know a guy or you get some connections, right. the old school Bob Hope courses are phenomenal, like Tamarisk, uh, Thunderbird. You know, Frank Sinatra used to live out there and uh, Bing Crosby. Indian Wells, all those courses. You know, they kind of take them out of the rotation just because they're short for today's right. pro standards. Right. They'd probably just light it up out there. But those those are fantastic. It's right up against the mountains and a lot of history. And it's cool. A lot of those old clubhouses have old memorabilia. Right. There's even like a card room. Like, you know, they'll have the, the, the hands, you know, glued up on the wall and framed. The Royal and all Flush yeah, or exactly. something. Yeah, like, somebody hey, got, you know. Yeah. Dean Martin, you know, one of oil, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. I love that about golf because, you know, those old school celebrities did a lot for the, you know, game of golf with the Bob Hope and the Pebble Beach yeah. Pro-Am and all that. And so it's really neat. And that, that area is pretty good too. And Pebble Beach Pebble isn't Beach. so bad. 
Not not too cheap, but uh, yeah. I've played there once. Yeah. That was pretty. Yeah, I played there right? once too. It yeah. was. Uh, it's, it's a memory. The, so the time I went there, uh, I was in a wedding party there, and uh, we were playing behind John. Da- John Daly had a tournament there. He has a company that makes shorts, like crazy pants oh, and nice. shorts. So they were having a tournament there. We were behind him, and the round took six hours. But it's such a beautiful course. And it was just so great to be out there that we really didn't care how long the round took. Just because just being out there and looking around, it really is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. probably kept you out of the store, too. You probably would spend a few grand just in that store that they have there, too. Getting the the swag, the the merchandise. No, that was, uh, yeah, it's not a cheap course by any, I mean, super expensive. But uh, that's, I think, worth the trip at some point if if you're into golf. That's Absolutely. for sure. No question. So what is that we, your number one, Kent, for you? Would that be the number one you've ever played? Oh, boy. I mean, that was uh, that was tough to beat. Um, I would say my number one course that I've ever played, um, it's actually, I don't know if you've heard of Baker's Bay, but there's a course in the Bahamas that is when the guys that don't make the cut at the Masters, they all go down there. A lot of pro golfers belong like I have places there and go there and they have barefoot golf which everyone immediately says that's stupid I'm not going to do it I brought my golf shoes down there when I went there because I thought it was stupid too but the way the grass they grow the grass there, special custom for that and it's actually the most amazing course I've been on because of the ocean views all the way through it they have, um, I don't know, it's really hard to describe this course. It's really just, it's an exceptional course. It's, um, it's got free food and boot, not free, but you know, you, you just didn't take what you it. want. <laughs> I didn't pay for any of it, thankfully. But you take what you want as you go. The food was like incredible. That's a big deal for me. Is right. a place called the Sip Sip halfway through, which had just like unbelievable food. And you just take whatever, they had all kinds of stuff. But just the scenery of the course was was like nothing I'd ever seen before because it's built in this peninsula of one of the islands in the Bahamas. And um, it was absolutely awesome. You don't need a tea time. You just roll up whenever you want to play. It, so it's it's not crowded. You just show That's up and play. That's what you deserve, Ken. Just yeah. show up and play whenever you want. You got to be you got to be related to the right person for for getting on a course like that. That that's for sure. But that's that's, that's probably mom. my greatest golf experience was that place. What so about you? My favorite one and it wasn't a great experience cuz it was unbelievably hard. I played at Oakmont up in Pittsburgh right after they had had a tournament there. So the the grass was like really really high and if you hit in the rough, you, you basically couldn't find your ball. Like it was just you just give up, like just drop something and move on. But we stayed there at one of the cabins that they had. We had dinner there. We took some customers there, so it was a fun thing. But that that was just a spectacular experience on an unbelievably challenging golf course. Well, I think from a retirement perspective, I think that's what's great is like these golf trips and experiences that you can have are just off the charts. You can go. Everyone, obviously, everyone wants to go to Scotland. I've never done that. I, I'd love to do it. Not. I mean, yes, from a golf perspective, but just to see the country and, right. and to stay in the places that they have there. They, I, I just have heard so much about it. 
Um, whether you go to Europe or in this country, there's just so many cool places built around around golf that I, I think it's... Uh, so I want to go, so I have a son at University of Oregon. I want to go to Bandon Dunes and do that for three or four or five days. I've just heard that's an awesome experience. Great. Have you played out there? I haven't had the chance and I've had a bunch of people I know love it. Yep. And, then, and a lot of guys that used to go to Ireland and Scotland, those are fantastic. But Bandon, a lot of guys are saying that's even easier uh, travel-wise. But the courses are just unbelievable. Yeah. It's kind of so built for. That a, sounds like maybe a trip. Maybe yeah, we, we exactly. plan. Why not? Exactly. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about in Europe? Was there like a course or a place that when you were in that tour that you said, "Geez, I'd love to get back there" because that's. I mean, it, there were so many good ones. Austria had a couple really unique courses, like built up in the mountains. That's what stood out to me too, yeah. and kind of like that. Some of the like layouts you kind of forget over the years, you know, other than Augusta National and. Oakmont Piners, but like have been playing next to a mountain, you know, it was unbelievable like that where they've had Olympics and just outside of Salzburg and but those views that you just, you almost can ignore golf and just stare right at the mountains because it's so gorgeous. It almost looks fake. But those are the type of courses I love. And then, and then the U.S., I tell you, Pasatiempo is probably the, the best course that anybody can play. It's a public course. Pasatiempo, yeah, where is that? It's up near uh, Santa Cruz. Okay. And they play a collegiate event there, but that was... That was how Bobby Jones found the guy, Alistair McKenzie, helped design Augusta National. Because okay. the topography, the green complexes, and it still tans, stands up to this day. There, There's greens you get on and you're praying to, to two putt. Right. And a three putt's not that bad. The greens are incredibly difficult. But that one, wow. if you're ever up in that area, is phenomenal. Tempo, And they play a big collegiate event there right now. But that's one you got to put on your list to, to try and play. All right, I'm going to switch topics on you a little bit here. Has Ken told you about his incredible golf ball idea that he has? <laughs> oh God! Come on, Ken, bust it out. Tell so me. when when I when I retired, I was trying to come up with other stuff to get involved in and do. And before I took lessons from you, I spent all my time looking for my ball in, in the woods everywhere, especially before Standard Club chopped down a lot of the trees that were on the course, right? So I thought what a great idea would be put some kind of transmitter inside a ball so you could go find your ball and you don't have to go looking all over the place for it. And the technology exists when you go to Topgolf, for example, they know where your ball is. So how hard could this be? So I did actually look into it. I investigated it. And uh, so I'm curious, what do you think of the idea for, for a high handicap golfer, which has got to be at least 80% of the golfers, right? Absolutely. If it speeds up pace of play, I'm all in. A hundred percent. I think it would be great. I would love that. But I, I would lose so few because I don't look for my ball. Like if I don't find it right away, I put another ball down. Right. I don't really care. But I just think for my scores, I, I'm sure I'm so close to the ball, but I just, I don't see it. It's under a leaf or something like that, but I just don't have the patience for it. And I don't want to be the guy that, that, holds gets, that holds everybody up. I'm like, let's go, let's move, you know? I would, so, lo I would love that. So instead of what's next, our podcast name, we would call it Where's Next. Where's right? Next. <laughs> I like it. No, I think that'd be great, especially during leaf season and then fescue in the summer in Georgia. Yeah. Fescue grows like crazy. And then, or if it's in the water, then you don't have to waste your time looking for it. You move on. Yeah, I, I would love that. Well, there you go. Maybe, maybe that's my what's next. We'll see. But actually, 
you took a different angle, Jason, than maybe we had. We, you know, we had talked about, and you had talked about, it's a, it's a money saver, right? But the pace of play angle is what might make it really interesting for, for a course, for, for to, a course to encourage right? it, and they, and yeah. they potentially could sell right. it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's I like it. Well, let's uh, let's see who our toast is for today, and let's take a let's talk about this Larceny bourbon. So, what do we got, Jason? Sounds good. So, we had to have something golf related for our retiree today, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem like golfers ever retire. They just seem to go from the PGA Tour to the Senior PGA Tour yeah. to and just keep playing forever. So, the only person I could find who's re- somewhat retired would be. Nick Faldo retired from being the lead golf analyst on CBS somewhat recently. He had been doing that for 16 years and decided that it was time to build a barn in Montana on a farm and just hang out with his family. Didn't want to travel anymore. Didn't want to be doing getting on the tour um, and covering that. So after 16 years with CBS, and obviously he's a six-time major champ, Congrats to Nick Faldo on uh, on joining the retired life. Think about that, though. How many sports could have a senior tour? You imagine the NFL had a senior NFL league or something like that. Oh, my gosh. I think the NBA could do it. I think the NBA would be interesting. It's like the All-Star game, then. No one plays defense, and everyone just shoots the rock, and uh, who knows. But uh, All right, so let's have our toast. Yeah. And let's see what Cheers. we think about this larceny stuff. Tell us about it. So... What what got me onto larceny was like I said I was a I was a fan of Weller. Weller is very hard to find. Um, the reason I liked the Weller is it was a weeded bourbon. Right. Most bourbons, all bourbons have to be a certain amount of corn, and then rye usually has some in barley. Well, the larceny has a very good amount of wheat in it, just like the Weller, and to me that helps the flavoring. Yeah, I like the flavor. It a gives lot. it a little sweeter. Touch sweeter, a little smoother, I think. And then something that, with me personally, the weeded helps me the next day. No headache. Honest <laughs> to God. Really? Uh, like if I drink something without weed in it, even though it might taste good and might have you know fun okay. drinking it, headache the next day. For some reason, the weeded bourbon, never. That's some, that. that's some detailed homework to that's figure that out. Impressive. The research level of... I mean, that's Sampling a lot. Yeah, that's impressive. Bourbons. I would never have guessed that. But uh, it says it on the front. That it does say a that. A weeded... I noticed that when I was. Uh, what do you think, Jason? I like it. Like, like Jason said, I think there's just a touch more sweetness than you normally do, which I think smooths it out for for someone like me who's not an everyday bourbon drinker. I think it's a really easy drinking bourbon. You know, you could you could definitely have this on a golf course and be sipping on that in a in a Georgia summer and be enjoying that. We we reviewed I think three bourbons now. This is the third or fourth. I think it's the fourth bourbon. And I'm not a bourbon guy, but I tell you, this would be this the best is, one. Yeah. The, yeah, this is the easiest drinking bourbon yeah. I've ever had. I mean, this is, I, I've kept going with it. And usually with bourbon, I put it aside and drink a beer. But uh, Except the peanut butter one. The peanut butter one was that interesting. Was that was different. A little sweet, very different. We, I don't know if you know this, but we, we uh, reviewed, what was it called? The peanut butter bourbon. It's, it's uh, the peanut butter bourbon. The peanut butter <laughs> bourbon. We're reviewing. They actually have it at the Standard Club. Oh, wow. Um, but it's it's different flavor. But this is actually probably for me the best tasting bourbon yeah. I've ever had. I mean, I'm I, I really enjoy this uh, larceny. It's good stuff. So, well, great. There you go. Well, Jason, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. It was great talking bourbon, uh, talking some golf, getting some good golf tips. 
finding out what a great golfer Ken is uh, and what a great athlete Ken is. So that's right. I, that's amazing. I did not pay him to say that. And I will be playing tomorrow. I'm playing uh, some golf tomorrow. So Very nice. See how we do. Well, that's a wrap for us. So just a reminder, don't forget to like, share, tell your friends about the podcast. Every single person, we need you to tell one friend about the podcast. And give us some ideas for other topics or your favorite golf course or your favorite golf trip that you want to do or another drink. We're always looking for that next great find like we just got with uh, Larceny from Jason. So, again, share, like, tell your friends and email us at what's next with jnk at gmail.com. All right. Have a good week. That's a wrap. Right. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.